0: Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. I have, I, I think this is good news. I'm not positive. Maybe you're really digging all this and enjoying it. But this is the last time we're going to talk about suffering in First Peter. So I've told you how the ancients, you know, they, 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 they make arguments like we do, but, but they don't drive towards them. They tend to kind of do this. They kind of loop and they go forward and then they recap and they go forward and they recap. And, and Peter's going to do that today. We're going to read chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 to the end of the chapter. Um, really, he's not going to say anything we haven't already said. He's not going to say anything in this passage. Maybe one thing we'll talk about. But for the most part, everything he's saying, he's just repeating, but, but that's, that's the way they write. That's the way they tell stories. That's the way they make arguments in their world, is they, they just keep going back and reminding you and moving forward a little and reminding you and moving forward a little. And so we're going to do that again. So read along with me, if you will, First Peter chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 12, and we're going to go all the way down through the end of the chapter. Dear friends, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However... If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So, Peter's, he's taken one more loop, one, one more turn around on suffering. And again, everything he's going to say here is things he's said before. He, he may be telling us a little more or filling something out, but it's all the things he said before. And he begins, don't be surprised. And I, I really like this, okay? So, you know, my dad paid a lot of money for me to learn classical Greek in college. This is your free gift with purchase In their language, in the the Greek of the New Testament, what Peter's writing in, the root of the word surprised is the word strange. So literally what he says is, don't be stranged," Because for them, that's what surprise is. It's something strange. And really, your Bible, if you're not reading, I'm reading from the New International, if you're reading a different version, it might say, don't be startled. Because that's kind of the idea, is that, you know, it's not just that you walk in and you're like, oh, the... The lights are green instead of blue. It's that you're you're startled, you jump. Something strange is going on here. Don't be strange, he says, at the fires to test you as though, and then this is literally, he says, as though a stranger were walking with you. Don't be strange. Don't be startled. Don't be surprised as if a stranger was walking with you. Like, that, that's one of the ways in his language that you say that something happens. You say that it, it walks with you. But do you kind of hear what he's saying? This isn't like, oh, I happened to find something on the ground. It, it's not that, that something is poof, there it was. It's walking with you. And I bet if we took a survey and I asked you, how many of you feel like suffering is walking with you? A bunch of you will raise your hands. I mean, a bunch of you I know will raise your hands because I've talked about it, and probably a bunch of you will that I don't know about. Because that is reality. And Peter gets it. Don't be surprised, he says, as if this is a stranger walking with you. Suffering is not a stranger, it's not a stranger to anybody, Christian or non Christian. Suffering is not a stranger to anyone on this planet. But especially if you are a follower of Christ, suffering is going to walk with you. Again, he's told us that a couple times before. This is not new information. But it feels new every time, doesn't it? What is the first thing we think when we suffer? When something terrible happens, what is the first thing that comes into our minds? God, why are you doing this? God, are you mad at me? God, why are you punishing me? God, why do I deserve this? The first thing that comes into my my mind, and I suspect it's true for you as well, I think it's universal in the human condition. The first thing that comes into our minds is that God is punishing us. That this is strange and it's unusual because God is angry at us. And brothers and sisters, Suffering, walking with you. If you are a Christian, Peter has said repeatedly, you will suffer because Jesus suffered. Because we are followers of Christ. Jesus suffered. We follow him. We are going to suffer. It never means that God is angry with you. God never punishes believers. Jesus did that. That's over. That's done. You are never being punished by God when you suffer. Jesus has taken care of that, but God does train us. He does discipline us. He does teach us, and I readily confess that sometimes those look the same. Sometimes they feel the same. I played football one year in high school, which was one year too long, so I learned very quickly. It's not my gifting. but as part of football, you know, football's just a couple hours on a Saturday, but you train for hours and hours every school day before and after school, and you do push-ups. I mean, you got to have, a, I was a lineman, you got to have upper body strength. So you, just, you do tons and tons of push-ups. That's training. Then also, if you're goofing off, if you weren't listening, if the coach called you to do something and you didn't do it, then you would hear very loudly, Jansen, give me 50! 50 push-ups. Come here right in front of me, drop, and do 50 push-ups right in front of me. That's punishment. You weren't doing what you're supposed to do. Now you're going to have some pain and some embarrassment. That's punishment. But in either case, they're both push-ups. But we all did push-ups as part of training as well. I, I get it. They look the same. It feels like we're suffering and God is punishing us, but he's not. He never will. God punished Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, he is never punishing you. Peter tells us what he's doing. It's the fire to test you. Remember, in their world, test is not an educational term. They don't test people pass-fail. Test is a metallurgy term. That's why it's fire. Anywhere in the Bible that you see test and fire together, it's talking about metallurgy. When you find a hunk of some shiny golden thing, you put it in the flame. You put it in a pan and you put it on the flame. If it's gold, it will melt and you can pour it off. If it's pyrite, fool's gold, it'll crack and shatter. Won't melt. You test metals. Again, it's not pass fail. It's to get rid of the junk That gold, that thing you found, it's full of impurities. It's full of all sorts of junk. You put it in the fire, the gold melts and flows off. You pour it out. All the junk, the the, the, the dirt and the trash and everything else that's mixed in with it. Again, this isn't new. Peter's already made this analogy before. When you suffer, it is God teaching you. It is God testing you. Their definition of test. Not a school test, pass, fail. A test to burn off the junk, to get rid of the trash. All the things that look really good but aren't, yeah, they, they shatter. The good stuff melts. All the trash, it just burns up and it's gone. And what you pour off is pure gold. That's what suffering is doing, Peter's told us. And he's bringing it back here again. Don't be surprised that God puts you in the fire. It gets rid of the junk in your life. It burns off all of the garbage. It reveals all the things that looked good, but wow, they're really not good. They're not really gold. It's never punishment. God already did that. It's done. Don't be surprised. Peter said, as though this were a stranger walking with you. It's not a stranger. It's one of the main ways God uses to make us more like Him. And wow, I don't really enjoy it any more than I enjoyed all those push ups that I had to do freshman year in high school. But they work, they're effective. You get stronger. God tests us in fire to get rid of the impurities, to burn off all the stuff. So notice the contrast, because Peter will do that a lot in this section. Verse 12, don't be surprised. Verse 13, but rejoice. Don't be surprised. This isn't strange. It's not anything new. This is normal. Don't be surprised. In fact, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Did you hear that? When you suffer, rejoice. Not because this is really cool and we have a good time. Rejoice, because look, you're suffering. Rejoice so that you may be overjoyed. He he actually stacks the word joy on top of it. He says, so you may rejoice with exceeding rejoicing when Jesus is revealed. We've heard that before. That The day when we get all the good stuff, it's probably not today. I mean, it could be. The sky could crack open today, Jesus could come back, everything could be good, but at least so far it's just cold. No sky cracking open, no Lord descending on the clouds. It's going to happen. So far it hasn't happened today. One day, one day, all the scriptures say, and Peter says it too, one day you will be overjoyed when his, when Jesus' glory is revealed. Do, Do you hear what he's saying? Scripture tells us these crazy things like give thanks and everything. Everything. Rejoice in everything. All of the horrible. I mean, let's face it, the world has horrible things in it. And we are told by God to rejoice in all of that. How? Because it's not good and we don't enjoy it and we're not masochists. Listen to what he says so that you will rejoice. You'll be overjoyed. You'll rejoice with a great rejoicing. When his glory is revealed? We're borrowing some of that future glory, some of that future rejoicing. We know the day is coming when God will set everything right. And all of this stuff that the Bible, just these, these crazy images of how wonderful everything will be, that day is coming. And we borrow a little of that joy and rejoice today. Not because what's happening today is great. It's not. But because we know what's coming. We know what the end is. I have never been pregnant myself, so I cannot say this from, you know, first-hand experience. Um, but I am told that my wife, you know, being pregnant was not that great. But wow, it was worth it. Wow, she would not ever trade those months. Wow, you know, which ranged from uncomfortable to downright awful at times. She would never trade those months if it meant you didn't have the result of the children. There is, it's incredible joy coming. And so we borrow a little of it, We, we keep our eyes on it. We know that's going to happen, and so we can rejoice today, even in the midst of the horrors, because we know that's coming. And God doesn't just say to us, well, you know what? You're just going to have to trust me on this. It's because of Jesus. You participate in the sufferings of Jesus. What happened when Jesus suffered? Because, wow, he did. (laughs) He suffered. What happened when Jesus suffered all the way to death? When he let people abuse him? and he let people harm him, and he let people insult him, and ultimately, he let people kill him. What was the result of that? He saved the planet. Remember we talked last fall, uh, we were going through sections of the Old Testament, we talked about the tabernacle and the temple, that there's this 18-inch fabric sheet of just wall and wall of fabric. It was so strong, they said you could tie two teams of horses to it, and you couldn't pull it apart. Because that 18 inches of fabric was between where God lived and where people could go. And nobody could go behind that fabric to where God was supposed to live, the ark, where he sat and made judgments. Like when Moses in the temple talks, you hear a voice coming from behind that curtain talking back to him. That's where God lives, and nobody can go near it. You never go behind that curtain, you'll die. One guy on the whole planet goes behind that curtain one time a year and they tie a rope around him because if he dies, you can't go in and get him, you'll die too. They gotta be able to drag him back out. They tied a rope around him with bells on it so that if they heard jingle thud, then they knew he was dead and they'd pull him back out. That's it, one guy on the planet Once a year, because God is there and people are here and they cannot come near each other, people will die. And when Jesus dies, scripture says, that 18 inches of fabric, it was like giant hands grabbed it. It went from top to bottom, it ripped open. And there's nothing between where God dwells and where man dwells anymore. Because Jesus has dealt with all of that. Jesus suffered and he died and he removed what kept people in God from being able to stand and, and talk to each other like we talk to each other out in the lobby before and after the service and now Peter said back at the end of verse 3 now Jesus is in heaven at God's right hand all angels authorities and powers are in submission to him God just doesn't say look trust me it'll be good you can rejoice now God says look at what happened to Jesus 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 did what I'm telling you to do. He obeyed me, He suffered. He even died. Look what happened. That's why the book of Hebrews says that, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. I don't think he enjoyed being crucified. I mean He was begging God to let him out of it right beforehand. But he borrowed some of that future joy. He knew what the end result would be, and so he could rejoice even in the midst of the suffering. And that's what Peter tells us to do. You will rejoice with abundant joy. So we, we borrow some of that, and we rejoice today. Verse 14, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, or it might say when you are insulted, because it, it kind of means the same thing in the way he says it. When you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Again, you hear these contrasts. Again, he doesn't say, Oh, and you should feel really happy about that. He says, you are blessed. It's a reality. Whether you feel it or not, whether you experience it or not, he says, you are blessed. God's spirit is on you. But if you suffer, okay, this one made me laugh out loud. Because I'm, I'm reading along in, in, the, in the Greek, as Peter wrote it, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer. That's a really strong word. And I'm thinking, well, no, no, gosh, no, of course not. Or as a thief. Okay, that's, we're kind of ratcheting it down a little bit. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd rather be robbed than killed. So murderer, thief, and I'm thinking as I'm reading this, you're like, no, definitely not. No, I'm not gonna steal from anybody. Or as any sort of criminal or literally any sort of evildoer, you shouldn't be suffering because you're doing bad. And I'm thinking, no, no, of course not. Or even as a meddler. As the only time this word ever appears in the Bible. I've, n- I've never seen it before. I've been reading Greek for 30 years. Never seen this word before. But I told you this is the language of the Bible. They love shoving little words together to make big words. This is actually four words put together. And if you sort of translate, if you do what I did, because I don't know what it means, I'm just sort of reading all the little pieces together. It's an overseer of other people's affairs. Murderer? No, of course not. Thief, heaven, you know, criminal. Oh, God forbid. Someone who thinks he's in charge of what other people do. Oh, yeah. First I laughed, and then I didn't laugh. And then I thought about how my daughter and I drive down the road commenting on everyone else's driving. Because that's what you do when you're teaching your daughter to drive. Of course, you point out how everyone else is a bad driver except for you. Ace. If you suffer, don't suffer as an overseer of other people's affairs. Yeah. But, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God. Again, these contrasts. Don't be ashamed, praise God. Because it is shameful in our world to suffer, isn't it? Like something's gone wrong. If you're suffering, something's gone wrong. You've done something wrong, and shame... Wow, that's like one of the ways in the modern world that we try and get rid of people. If you know anything about like cancel culture and those sorts of things, it's all about shame, public shaming of people to discredit them, to destroy them, to, to ruin them. Don't be ashamed. Now, you know what? If you're suffering because you are an overseer of other people's affairs, yes, you should be ashamed. Stop doing that but if you suffer because you're a Christian, because you're doing what's right, then Peter says, no, don't be ashamed, praise God. Again, praise God, To, to give praise in the midst of something painful, because you bear that name. When you suffer for being a Christian, you have Jesus stamped right across you. And he likes that because he suffered for doing what was right. You look like him. He's pleased with you when that happens. Now, I told you, you know, there's not really anything new in Peter, but, but these next couple verses, he's not really said anything like this before. It's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. I've not really heard that before in Peter, and I, I was sort of pondering that. You know, I work on the sermon throughout the week. I try and do a, a few hours every day and read through it, and, and then I read some commentaries. And so I, I read some commentaries on this, but I, I wasn't sure that I, really would, was, that I really understood this. And then Friday, so Friday is my seminary day. As many of you know, I, I do not have a seminary degree, so I'm getting one now online. I just take one class each semester, moving through. This year, this semester, I'm in a class on ministry leadership. My book, the textbook, is from 2011, and we're doing a chapter called The Credible Leader. And in that chapter, it holds up as an example the life and works of a man who in 2011 had a very credible ministry. He'd built a huge mega church. It was enormous, we'd all know his name. We all knew, I mean, he was a huge deal in Christianity. Done incredible things, and this book in 2011 is holding him up. This is who you should be like. This is what ministry, credible ministry, looks like. If they put out a new edition of that book in 2024, they will need to remove him as an example, Because since then, it has come out that in the many, many Christian conferences that he spoke at, uh, the women in his hotel room were not his wife. And that is women plural. Uh, And that he kept hiring uh, young, pretty girls as his assistants and traveled with them extensively. He is not an example of a credible leader. Now, don't get me wrong, he's a phenomenal leader. (laughs) I mean, what he's done is really, really impressive. And he ruined all of it by his conduct. He destroyed his credibility and the credibility of his organization because of his conduct. And I was reading, I mean, that was kind of, I'm reading this 2011 textbook and we've got, oh, look at this guy and what he's done. It's like, No, don't look at him. Yeah, we know what he's done. And I thought about these verses. It is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? How many people have walked away from Jesus because of the conduct of his followers? Boy, that one scares me because I stand up here every week and I tell you how to live and I tell you what's right and I tell you what you're supposed to do. And wow, I read those kind of things and I pray, God, strike me dead. Don't let me do that. Kill me. Do not destroy any credibility I had in decades of ministry by my foolish, sinful conduct we are all sinners. We are all saved by the grace of God. But wow. Uh, You know, apparently, uh, this gentleman, people came to him and confronted him and got threats. Threats of lawsuits, threats of abuse, threats of exposure. It is one of the reasons when I preach, I tell you when I've messed up. It's one of the reasons when I preach and I talk about passages, I'm like, yeah, it says to do this, and I'm not doing it. I, I'm, I'm not like that. It's one of the reasons I have to be honest with you. Because I am telling you, you have got to do this. This is the word of God. This is the reality. This is the rule for all of us. Oh, and if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, then what will become of the ungodly? All those kids up at Kramer, that I talk with each week about Christ. Yeah, what if then they find out that I'm cheating on my wife, or I'm lying, or I'm stealing? What are they gonna think about my Lord if that's what they see in me? I don't know if that's what Peter meant, but wow, that's what I read when I went through and was doing this, that our conduct matters. It matters a lot. And folks, conversely, there is almost nothing I can think of more powerful than watching someone suffer well. There is very little that is more inspiring and more powerful than watching someone suffer. And they do it well. They do it with faith and they do it with trust and they do it with grace, and they do exactly what Peter told us Jesus did. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God, who judges justly. There is little more inspiring than someone who says that they believe all that this book says. That they say they believe God is like this. And then when terrible things happen in their lives, they still say it. And they still live it. And they still trust him. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner when we don't look like we follow Jesus? We say it loudly, but we don't look like it brothers and sisters, our conduct matters, and how you suffer matters, because it's not just you. It's a whole watching world that says, oh, they name the name of Christ. Oh, they say they're a Christian. Oh, they go to church. Then how do we do when it gets hard? And Peter ends, again, this is not the last time we'll see the word suffering in the book, but it's really his final statement, and I I like it. I, I think it's outstanding. Verse 19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I think that is a great summary of everything he has said to us in this whole book about suffering. Three things. First, you suffer according to God's will. You don't suffer for being a meddler. You don't suffer for doing what's wrong. I mean, I love, again, he said it before. It's back in chapter 2, verse 20. Um, How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing what's wrong? But if you receive a beating, if you suffer for doing what is good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Are we suffering according to God's will? Are we suffering because we did what was right and good? You know? If you rob a bank and say, hey, I'm going to tithe on that money, it's okay. That's not going to work. You're not going to get any credit for that. Are we suffering according to God's will? That's the first question we have to ask ourselves when we suffer. Is this because I am doing what is right? Because remember, it's never you're being punished. You're not. Punishment is done. Maybe you're being trained. You're certainly being tested in the sense of metals. God is refining you am I suffering according to God's will? Question one. Question uh, Point two, commit yourself to your faithful creator. When we suffer according to God's will, we suffer for doing what is good, then what we do is we trust God. Uh, some translation, you might, translation might say, entrust yourself to your faithful creator. We trust God. We trust God when everything goes really well. I mean, the heat is on in my house, my car started this morning, the lights are on, this is a good day. We trust God in all the good days. And you know, when the heat goes out and the lights aren't on and the car doesn't start, we still trust God. We still trust that he knows what he's doing. We still trust that he's in charge of the universe. We still trust that everything he does is good. I do not know why he allows what he allows I cannot tell you why the all-powerful God, this is an eternal question. Why does an all-powerful, all-good God allow suffering? Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he does. And he does not feel the need, generally, to explain himself. He just allows it and says, trust me and look at Jesus. Because God allowed Jesus to be suffered and we are to suffer and we are saved because of it. He says, trust me and look at Jesus. I know what I'm doing. So the first one, first question we ask ourselves, okay, am I suffering according to God's will? Second, all right, am I trusting God? Am I trusting God in this? Again, yes, this is bad. Yes, this is suffering. We're not pretending like this is good. Am I trusting God because God is good and so I can rejoice and be thankful? And then third, continue to do good because that's what our Lord did our Lord suffered. And wow, he just kept right on going. All the way to the cross. You remember that night, the night right before they come and take him, he's alone in the garden. Everybody's asleep. He's begging God, can we do this some other way? And God says, no. And he can just walk right on down the Kidron Valley and be gone into the darkness. No one will ever catch him. He could have just Walked away. It says he's sweating blood. Like he's seeing it. He sees the cup. He knows what's going to happen to him. I don't mean he knows he's going to be crucified. I mean he knows the wrath of God is going to be poured out on him. And he is begging his father, Is there any other way? And his father says, No. There is no other way. And he's got a choice to make that evening because everybody's asleep and it's dark. And he can just walk away and he doesn't he continues to do good and that's who we are called to be brothers and sisters we suffer according to the will of God we trust God in the midst of it and we keep doing good we just keep doing good so this Peter's final word on suffering I'm going to pray over us because I'm sure I mean maybe it's big maybe it's small maybe it's really serious maybe it's not but all of us have suffering in our lives. And if you don't have serious suffering in your life, praise God, but you have and you will again. That, again, it's not a stranger, Peter says, that walks with us. Don't be surprised. Suffering not a stranger that walks with us. It is part of how God gets rid of the junk in our life. I'm just going to pray and ask God, no. Are, 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 you, are you doing this? Are you living this out in the places in your life where you're suffering? Are you suffering according to God's will? Do you trust him? And are you still doing good? And I'm gonna ask him to speak to us, same as I do every week. I mean, I, you know, I'm a one-trick pony, that's it. We want God's spirit to take God's word and apply it to our lives. I'm gonna ask him to do that. See if he says anything to you. As you're praying, as you're listening to me, as you're praying along, just just be aware. See if God's Spirit points out anything to you. If if you hear anything, if you get an image, a, a thought, if something happens in your mind, because he can talk to you and you can hear him. See if he says anything to you. Th- that someplace he wants you to change. You know, you're not trusting me here. Or you've stopped doing good. Like I told you about that in, in the, the paying off the mortgage. You know, I just hit a point after 10 years. I'm kind of like, okay, whatever, fine, it'll happen. I stopped doing good. I stopped trusting. Any place that you're not trusting, any place you've stopped doing good, anything he wants to say to you about suffering. And wow, if he says something to you, do it. Because everything he says is good. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Gosh, you did this first. I mean, that's what Peter says over and over again. We should look to you because you did this. We, we, we don't just trust God because God tells us to trust him. We don't just say, well, okay, I hope you'll do something good with this. We look at you and say, yes, he did. He asked you to trust him. He asked you to suffer. And wow, wow, what he did with that. Thank you, Lord, that that you are not asking us to do anything that you haven't already done. You, You lived out all these things for us. Oh, but Jesus... You are human. You know how hard this is for us. You know how hard it is for us to suffer well. You know how hard it is for us not to strike back, not to retaliate. When people insult us, we want to insult them back. When people hurt us, we so want to hurt them back. And that is not your way. Oh, Jesus, help us. I pray for my brothers and sisters now. I pray for everybody listening to me, that you, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us are there any places in our lives that we're not suffering well? That we're not suffering according to your will? We're not doing it the way you want us to do it. We're not, we're not suffering for the reasons you want us to suffer. Is there any place we're not trusting you? That we're suffering and we've stopped trusting that you are good and at work? And are there any places, Lord? Are there any places where we've given up doing good? We've suffered and we've said, okay, that's it, I'm, I'm out, I'm done. Is there any places in our lives that you want us to continue to do good, even though people are opposed to us. And that is one of the marks you told us, Jesus, in your Sermon on the Mount. That, that the, the pagans, they love people who love them. We are to love people who hate us, because that's what you do. You love people who hate you. Jesus, now, as we pray as we take communion and remember what you've done for us. Then as we sing, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Wow, we want to be like you. We want to live like this. We want you to be proud of us. Speak to us, Lord. We pray in your name, Jesus, because you are our God. Amen.